and welcome to another episode of Authors Lab. And I am your host, Allison G. Daniels, four-time best-selling author of over 31 books, book writing coach and CEO and founder of AGD Publishing Company. Today, I have with me on the line Carla D. Bass. And the title of our show is Right to Influence, Cease Your Future. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to share time with your audience. You are so welcome. Listen, thank you so much for your yes. Please introduce yourself to our listening audience. My name is Carla. I'm a retired Air Force colonel. I served 30 years active duty, loved every second of it. Um, I've worked for the federal government now for another 15 years, and so for 40 years I've written products that go to the White House, to Congress, to generals and ambassadors, and it's my writing methodology that I would like to, uh, to discuss today. How I came about this, when I was a lieutenant colonel, I had a squadron of 480 people in Hawaii. It was the most losing unit in the state for professional awards when I arrived. I recognized that, that deserving careers were being harmed, not because these people didn't deserve to win, but because their supervisors could not write winning packages. So that's when I developed my methodology. I taught them how to write. We became the unit to beat, and I ended up teaching my methodology for the next 15 years to thousands of people in the Air Force. When I retired, I turned that into a book, Right to Influence, and that's what brings me to you today. That is so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. So, of course, you know I have a few questions to ask you. And the first question is, what are the five guiding principles that you can share with us today? The five principles that are foundational to my writing methodology and what will change your lives is the first one is leverage. Now, if you can imagine, imagine a white rectangle about an inch tall and five inches wide. The point behind that is that every author, regardless of whether you're writing for, to Congress or if you're writing a blog, every author is constrained by two things. You're constrained by the reader's time, tick, tick, I'm busy, what do you want? And you're also constrained by the available space. It could be a demarcated area on a government form, or it could be uh, a restriction, describe your grant request in 250 words, or it could be the above-the-fold part on a web page. So the leverage, the white rectangle, in that white rectangle put one word in big, black, bold letters. It's called opportunity. So the author, the writer, who best leverages the reader's time and the available space often wins. So leverage is the, first, is the first principle. The second is empathize. Whatever it is that you write, write it from the recipient's perspective. And, and I can talk about that a little bit later. But put yourself in the reader's or the audience's shoes and then write from their viewpoint. That will, that will make such a difference in what you're trying to achieve. The third principle is quantify, details. Details help you tell your story, and they provide a, a mental yardstick for the reader to really understand what it is that you're trying to say. So, for example, if I had a resume bullet that said, 
led a team of, uh, of subject matter experts studying a logistics system, provided recommendations to the CEO. Well, that's only half the story because there are no details. But if I said led a nine-person team in a five-week study, made six recommendations, the CEO accepted them all, saved the, country, uh, the company $850,000, now you have one hell of a story. Pardon my French. Um, and, and that's the difference that detail make. The, the number four is whatever it is that you're writing, convey the impact. People often don't do that, and it's, it's truly significant if you're trying to, to go for a budget justification or going back to your resume. Not only you did X, but what happened as a result of what you did. And then the, the fifth one is revise, edit, and proofread whatever it is that you write. People make the mistake of often submitting the first draft, and they don't realize that revising and editing and proofreading are three distinct steps, and each one has distinct functions. And if you, if you miss any one of those, you've really hurt yourself. So those are the five guiding principles of Right to Influence. Wow, listen, I was trying to write down everything as you were talking. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I, I have another question for you. Mm-hmm. How can a person frame a winning argument, and then what does that consist of? Okay, to, to frame a winning argument, you have to start with knowing your audience. Knowing your audience is the cardinal rule in all communications, spoken, written, or, or everything. And in, in order to know the audience, that means you have to know what the audience's familiarity is with what you're about to present. Are they experts? Are they novices? Are they somewhere in between? And then you have to write to their level of understanding. Knowing the audience, you need to understand what it is that they need from you and importantly, what do you need from the audience? What, what are you hoping to gain by communicating with them? And then you need to speak in the audience's language. And I've got a, I've got a story for you on this one. Um, when I was working uh, in, a federal go- in a federal agency, uh, this, this organization was trying to lobby Congress for a very large amount of money for um, a computer program. The problem was, when, when the people gave me the draft that was going to Congress, it was written in technical terms. This, this project processes X number of information. It has storage capacity and all this stuff. The problem is the people in Congress who decide thumbs up, thumbs down on, on budgets, they're policymakers. They don't understand that. So I completely rewrote the submission. I put it in terms that they would understand, and, and we got the program approved. So when you're knowing your audience, you have to know, are you talking to technicians? Are you talking to policymakers? Are you talking to children? Are you talking to adults? And then use the language that, that is appropriate. So know your audience is the first one. And then right from their perspective, that goes back to the empathy that I mentioned earlier. So if for a resume, you, the, the purpose of your resume is not, look how good I am. It's, I recognize your need, Mr. Employer, and here's how you will benefit by hiring me. So you you write it from the employer's perspective. If I'm trying to convince you to buy my book, if I came at at you and said, hey, I want eight national-level awards, you've got to buy the book, you're you're likely to say, oh, yes, thanks very much. But if I say, 
with this book, you will learn how to boom, boom, boom. That makes a completely different story. So right from the audience's perspective. The third way to frame a winning argument is anticipate and answer questions. So for example, if you're a division chief and I'm I'm the, the vice president, I come to you and I say, uh, we're having uh, economic problems with the company. I'm going to cut your resources by 50%. Your job is to convince me not to do that. How would you do it? You would frame your argument with questions such as, what services will I stop? Uh, what impact will this have on the overall company's mission? How is it going to impact my customers? And oh, by the way, have I already taken budget cuts recently? So if you, if you identify the questions that your argument should answer and then write to those, that's another way to frame an argument. And the, the fourth one um, is strategize your approach in advance. Know if you're going into a, a meeting or if your paper is going to, if it has um, uh, positions, it has to counter contrary positions, opposing positions, know what they are know what their strengths are, um, know who is supporting what. Uh, if you're going into that meeting, who will, who will support you, who's opposing you, who's sitting on the fence, and how do you persuade them to vote your direction? Um, and then finally, when you actually get up to present, you, in a very balanced way, you say here's option one, option two, option three. You, you compare and contrast them, and then you present yours and you explain how, how yours eclipses all of the others. So there's a, those are just a few ways to frame that winning argument. And, and, and there's so much more, but that's just a bit. And the benefits that you derive by that, um, mm-hmm. and this, this pretty much applies to everybody, um, it's all about persuasion. It's all about influencing the audience to think your way, to, to respond the way you would like them to respond. And that, that applies to marketing your services or your products. Mm-hmm. It, it applies to winning contract bids. Um, we talked about defending your resources, defending your castle. If, on the other hand, you have a brand new project that you need resources for, that you need to resource, you have to be able to make that case on, okay, here's why I need more money to do this other project. Um, extend influence. If, if I have a project and you're, you're in another company or um, uh, and I'm trying to persuade you to partner with me and we, will, could, we can do something jointly, then, then I have to be able to make that compelling case. And it all comes back to being able to frame that winning argument. Thank you, thank you. So here's another question that um, I have for you. What are the dirty dozen most common errors in messaging? Because that's another form of right to influence or writing. Oh, it, it certainly is. So um, when you have a list, the most important thing is usually number one. That, that's the statement of the obvious there. But the second most important thing, the strategic place to put the second most important thing is the last item on the list. Okay? So number one on my dirty dozen, we've discussed it. It's the failure to revise, edit, and proofread. Number 12 on my dirty dozen is writing as you speak. People, people is in business products. They write so colloquially they don't is in like they're talking, they don't go back and, and polish it. So, for example, in a document you could hear someone or someone would write, uh, we will get them up to speed on the new policy. Well, get up to speed 
that's street talk. Uh, you would say we will inform them or we will update them on, but, but get up to speed is just that, that's too sloppy for a professional presentation. So I've, just, I've explained number one and number 12. Some of the others are failure to outline your message, and, and I'll get to that when we talk, start talking about strategies. Uh, the lack of detail, we mentioned that. Poor word choice. Uh, punctuation. Um, excessive use of, of demonstrative pronouns like that. Uh, you, can, you can really uh, save space by, by not using extra pronouns. Um, passive voice. Uh, uh, mix of, of first, second, and third pro, uh, subjects. So, for example, if we're talking about they and then in the middle of the sentence you change it to we, that, that's mixing the, the subjects. And noun upon noun upon noun. Here's an example of nouns upon nouns upon nouns. The company will use a synchronized partner relationship knowledge management capability to enable strategic data-driven decisions regarding partnerships. I have no idea what that means. But that's what happens when you put noun on top of noun on top of noun on top of noun. It turns into bureaucratic blather. And then, and then one more is lack of standardization in opening words on lists. So, for example, um, here's, when, you're, when you have listed words, the objective is to start, if you're going to start, start them with a verb, have all verbs. If you're going to start the first word in each bullet with a noun, all nouns, but don't mix and match. And if you're using verbs, keep them in the same tense. So here's an example of how not to do it. Um, this policy is intended to provide guidance, intended to assign responsibility, intended to establish procedures, intended to prescribe authority. So you hear how the rhythm breaks, and, and those, those, those are distracting, and you don't want to do anything that distracts your reader because that takes the attention away from the message that you're trying to convey. So those are the dirty dozen. Okay. So... Then that brings me to my next question is about the strategies. What are some strategies to compose a um, gripping marketing product or a message? Okay. So think back to my white rectangle about leveraging time and space. Okay. Time, well, you know this. All of your listeners know that. Everybody is so busy. So you have to, you have to grab the reader's or the listener's attention in the first couple of seconds, and then you have to fight to retain the attention. So how do you do that? You, you put the golden nugget, the, the most important thing that you want to convey, you mention that up front. And then you follow that up with background or ancillary information. Because, you know, if, if I have all of this information that's all the preface and here's the background, by the time I'm done explaining the background to you, you're gone. And I haven't gotten to my most important piece of information. That applies in writing emails too. So strategy number one, if I've only got 10 seconds with you, this is what is most important to let you know. Another strategy is put the horse before the cart, which is similar, except that's at a sentence level. How often have you read a sentence where it goes on and on and on and on, and then at the last couple of words, you finally get to what the subject is or the main point, but you had to go through all this other stuff before you got to the, the subject. I call that put, put the horse before the cart, get the, the key idea up front in the sentence, and then let the rest of the sentence come along. It's like wading through knee-deep mud 
if, if you do it the other way. Um, triage and prioritize information. So when you're building your resume, uh, you, you've made this list of all the wonderful things that you've accomplished, and you've tailored those to the employer and the job for which you're applying, but you've only got so much space. So you have to triage. Does this apply? Yes. Does this apply? Yes. Does this apply? Yes. These others, they don't, so cut them. And then prioritize. Of those things that you think apply to the new job, what's the most important to mention first? So that's triage and prioritize. Again, because you're limited by space. And then the, another one that people simply uh, skip is outline. Outline your message. Uh, you're a storyteller. Regardless of what you're writing, you're a storyteller. So you know the beginning of your story, and you know the end of the story. You know the journey that you want to take the audience on. So if you outline it, that will do a couple things. It helps you organize your thoughts. It helps you identify those key points, the stepping stones to take the reader by the hand and lead them along the journey. Um, and then when you're, when you're done with your first draft, you go back to your outline and you make sure that you've hit all those points. You make sure that there's not extra information that kind of snuck into the draft that has nothing to do with your message, and then you, you cut that out. Um, it also helps you identify what the weak points are in your argument and where you need to go do more research or make them stronger. So, so outlining your thoughts makes for a crisper product. It helps you leverage that time and space, and it uh, ultimately helps you achieve your objective. So those are just a couple strategies. Well, thank you for sharing those. I wanted to go back um, to your five guiding principles. Would you um, maybe elaborate on number two and I wrote it down, but I can't even understand my own writing. Empathy? But number two. Sure. Um, that, that's, uh, that's very similar to writing from the audience's perspective. So, so um, empathy, when I, when I speak to you, I, I want to know who's your audience and how can I best serve them. That's empathy. Um, uh, a grant maker, if I'm, if I'm submitting to, to win a grant, I have to understand what it is that the grant maker is trying to achieve. What's the grant maker's mission and objectives? What, what, what really concerns the grant maker? How is the grant maker trying to make the world a better place? If I can understand that, that's the big target. That's, that's for how you have to empathize with the reader. Once I get into the audience's head, in this example, once I look at the world from the grant maker's perspective, once I empathize with the grant maker, then I can target my message. Thank you. So do you offer any um, coaching classes? I think you mentioned it earlier. Oh, I, I, I do. And, and, you know, with all of this COVID mess, people are in such dire straits. I composed three free ebooks. They're on my webpage, uh, net. The first free ebook is Write to Win a Standout Resume. The second is Write to Win uh, Input to a Performance Review because that's so hard for people to do. Okay, the boss comes and says, tell me what you've done for the last year. It's like, oh, shoot, what did I do? And now I feel like bragging. I'm bragging. Well, 
that's not appropriate. So the second free ebook is how to write a, 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 a performance review. And the third one is how to write a grant submission. So what I did in each one of those, book, uh, those, those e-books, I took all of my rights to influence strategies and word sculpting tools and laser focused them on those three particular products. So that's out there to help people. Um, and I, I teach webinars. I teach workshops. I do private coaching. Um, uh, I just returned from Florida where I taught a workshop to, it was the annual convention of National Service Dogs for Veterans. There were 30 plus organizations represented there. I taught them how to write grants, you know, grant submissions. So uh, you need help with writing that college application essay. I do so much and it's all of my services and the various um, things that I teach are all on my website. And free tips. Go to my free tips page because there are other podcast interviews, uh, TV, radio, uh, just a, a, a host of articles that I've written on here's how you write the, the post-interview thank you note, here's how you write the cover letter, all, all sorts of information. It's basically a, a free library of things that I've done to help people. Okay, thank you so much for sharing. And I had another question for you because I, I would love for you to give um, your social media um, how they can get in touch with you. I know you gave your website um, your other social media accounts, or is it oh, rather uh, have them go to the website? Sure. Uh, Facebook, and this, this is bad. I'm not so hot on the social media. Facebook, I think it's uh, Carla at Right to Influence. Um, I don't remember what my Twitter one is, and I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. The other thing I wanted to mention is I, I put out a twice-monthly newsletter, e-newsletter. They're short, they're sweet, they're to the point, and they also provide additional writing tips. So if anybody wants to contact me and get that, uh, my email is Carla, C-A-R-L-A, at writetoinfluence.net. Okay, say that again because I, I love that. Say that again. Mm -hmm. Carla, C-A-R-L-A, at Right, W-R-I-T-E, to, T-O, influence, I-N-F-L-U-E-N-C-E, dot net, N-E-T, Carla at right to influence dot net. And, and I'll conclude with, I have two battle cries. I learned both of these from my, my experience in Hawaii, which changed my life. My number one battle cry is that powerful writing changes lives because it does. I still receive email testimonials from people that said, Colonel Bass, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have been able to because you taught me how to write. And the second battle cry is that powerful writing is the lifeblood of successful organizations. And then we go back down to the the marketing, defending resources, uh, convincing people to come join your company, um, advertising or marketing good news. So powerful writing is a life skill, and, and schools are not teaching this. So you know, people are coming out of academia, even if they get straight A's, they're coming out and they're writing fat, not skinny, and that's a handicap when they're looking for jobs. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. We're going to take a break, and we will be right back. Get ready, world. 
This is Danish Jones, and I will be coming to you first thing in the morning to start your day off with good news. Tune in every Monday at 7.30 a.m. to the Unsung Celebration, where we celebrate the unsung heroes of the world, the doctors, the teachers, the community leaders, and anyone who you feel deserves a platform of recognition. So tune into the Unsung Celebration, where we are committed to giving you your flowers now. Allison G. Daniels, three-time best-selling author who has written over 31 books. I am a book writing coach and publisher. I am excited today to offer you my 30-day Write to Finish book writing program. Whether you are preparing to write a book, are in mid-process, or have completed your first draft of a full-length book, this workshop is for you what you would get. You will learn how to draft your outline, brainstorm and organize your ideas, identify your target audience, develop your content, avoid common writing mistakes, and time management. To get started, visit my website at www.agdpublishing.com take advantage of this opportunity before the class is full. This is Allison G. Daniels, and I look forward to working with you. Hello, and welcome back to the Authors Lab podcast. I am your host, Allison G. Daniels, best-selling author, coach, and publisher. Again, I have with me on the line Carla D. Bass, and the title of our show is Right to Influence, Cease Your Future. And I'm going to have Carla share again about the battle cry. My two battle cries, and, and this, this, I learned this in real life. Number one is powerful writing changes lives. You could be the most talented employee, the best selection by far for a particular job, but if your competition is better at writing a resume than you, guess who loses? You lose, and so does the employer, because the employer, out of ignorance, hired the wrong dude. So powerful writing opens doors to opportunity that would otherwise remain closed to you. It, it makes a tremendous difference. I received an email um, pretty recently, and it said, Colonel Bass, you may not remember me. I was a senior airman, and for your listeners, that means a, a, a very young enlisted troop. I was a senior airman in, in your unit in Hawaii. Um, you wrote the handbook. I used it for 18 years. Because of that, I was selected for officer's training school, which is really competitive. I just retired as an officer a lieutenant colonel after 20 years, and I'm now the vice president of a defense corporation because you taught me how to write. 
that's wow. what keeps that's what keeps me going and that's why I'm so passionate about trying to share this writing methodology and the second battle cry uh, for those who are in business and even non-governmental organizations, it's powerful writing is the lifeblood of successful business. Uh, you know, think about the horrible emails that you receive. Think about marketing, marketing products. Uh, think about trying to get people to partner with you. Anything that you are trying to do, if you can't convey it with, uh, so that your writing is is clear and concise and compelling then you truly are handicapping yourself. And the, the beauty, I don't mean to go on, but I'm so passionate about this. The beauty of all of this is if you learn to write this way once, just learn this once, it applies to everything. And it's easy to learn. Uh, you, can I tell you a story about a hard-boiled egg and word sculpting? Yes. Okay. Um, part one of the book is all about the strategies. We've covered that very well now. Part two, and then think about an inverted triangle. Okay? In, that means upside-down triangle. The, the big part of the upside-down triangle is the strategies. We've hit that. Come down to the pointed end. That's where I call word sculpting, part two of the book. So you take your draft, and sentence by sentence, you, you, you sculpt out. Just like a sculptor, you get rid of all the, the rubble and the marble, and boom, there's your statue. You do the same thing. I've got ten word sculpting tools. One of them, I love explaining this, this one because it's so much fun. It's called Verbs Are Your Friends, Rely on Them. So I want you to imagine a hard-boiled egg. Got it? Yes. <laughs> okay. Now make that hard-boiled egg six foot tall. Big, honking hard-boiled egg. And focus on the yolk. The yolk is the verb, and all that white stuff around it is the bureaucratic blather that we always smother the verbs in now. For example, um, puts at a disadvantage, is disadvantages, has a constraining effect on, is constrains, place an emphasis on, is emphasize, provide a description, is describe. You getting it? Yeah. Work collaboratively, is collaborate. So if, if you go through your, your draft sentence by sentence and you get rid of, you just focus on the yoke and you get rid of all those extra words that surround it, you save time and you save that space that's so important. Uh, a second tool, second word sculpting tool I call it is don't use words that hog space. Um, and, and that's similar except it's, it's, uh, it's with other words. So let's see, words that hog space. Uh, we are currently in the process of evaluating. We are evaluating. You don't have to say are currently in. On at least one occasion, at least once, Okay. So that's uh, don't use words that hog space. And then there's useless words. If you find the words that absolutely contribute nothing to the sentence, you carve all of those things out, and pretty soon you have a strategized message that's really focused, and, and, it, and there's no wasted words. You've leveraged every single space and every second of the reader's time. Before we close out, I would love for you to share words of encouragement to someone that's starting to write but then decided they're not a good writer? Oh, that's easy. Look, look at writing from a completely different perspective, and this is what I mean. 
Um, you know, and Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins says in every job, in every job that must be done, there's an element of fun. You find that fun and snap, the job's the game. I won't go singing to you, but, but the fun in writing is, writing is a scavenger hunt. Because I've just described the wasted words, the redundancies, the, the, uh, the verbs of your friends. So if you look at writing like a scavenger hunt, it's like an Easter egg hunt. You go through sentence by sentence and you say, ah, I found another one. You're out of here. Writing is also like photography, speaking about details. So you start with a, a fuzzy image, a fuzzy message, and the more detail that you add, like the, the nine-person team, the five-week study, all of a sudden the image comes into crystal clear view. So it's photography. Uh, writing is like poker. Okay, You've got one position. You, you, you and I are competing projects. I know what your project is. I know your strengths and weaknesses. I want mine to win, so it's poker. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put forward an argument that plays to my strengths and emphasizes your weaknesses. So, so writing can also be a poker game. So it's not, it's not a burden. It's not a drudge. It can be fun if you look at it from that perspective. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining another episode of the Author's Lab. If you would like to learn more about my 30-day Write to Finish book writing program, please visit my website at www.agdpublishing.com. Again, that's www.agdpublishing.com. Thank you.